This week's episode of the Cincy Shirts Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Holtman's Donuts. Check out our collection of Holtman's Donuts apparel and accessories at our website or in stores. On the site, simply search Holtman's. To get their delicious donuts, check them out in OTR, Westchester, and of course, Milford slash Loveland, right there on Route 28. Now, on with the show. This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 79. Today on our show, Tony Pike. So dinner ends, and I'm like, okay, we should be all right. Every one of those linemen ordered a bottle of Ace of Spades. The dinner itself ended up being like $17,000, $18,000. And Jimmy Clausen, frickin' Jimmy, a second-round draft pick, looks at me, he's like, well, I guess we'll just split it. No, we're not splitting it. Tony, of course, was a star quarterback for the University of Cincinnati before being selected in the sixth round of the NFL Draft by Carolina. He talked to us about his career at UC, buying his new NFL teammates an expensive dinner as a rookie with the Panthers, Brian Kelly, the Sugar Bowl, and more. If you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. So with that all out of the way, let's talk to Tony Pike. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I-Cincinnati. in Cincinnati. How do you like doing the radio? I I enjoy it's weird, I enjoy the three to six stuff because of the segment lengths. Like three to six, you're doing like seven, eight, nine minute segments, um, and you take callers and you play a shot. Like noon to one, it's like, hey, you got two twenty minute segments. And my mentality, like after like eleven minutes, I just start like picturing like what people are thinking as I'm rambling on at this point. Like what? Like what am I even talking about? Is that live? The noon, yeah. the noon to one. Yep. So Do I. Do you get call in? To- no. So I, I, do people call and you don't answer, or people just don't call? No, well, uh, Mo Egger and, and, and Rapine kind of started the show, and it was like a banter back and forth for an hour, and then it was Mo and I back and forth for an hour, and then Mo's been doing so much different stuff with mornings with ESPN and that, and they're like, hey, you're just going to take it over. Oh, okay, great. And at the same time, it's, uh, you know, on days where they want it to be Cincinnati sports-related, and there was like the all-star break. So the Bengals are gone. The Reds don't have a game for three days. It's like, what What do you talk about for an hour <laughs> wow. in Cincinnati sports? So Marvin those, Lewis. Yes. That's where you can always go back. But those days that's are hard. Said. <laughs> everything, else is, everything else is easy. Like, you know, I'll line up different callers and callers are easy. Or anytime the Reds win, like play a little excerpt of David Bell's post game and stuff like that. <laughs> takes up as much time as possible. Do you find right now that people are talking about the Reds more further into the season than in recent years? Oh, yeah. It's, it's got to help, right? Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, Mo and I started the season, and I was like, if the Reds can get us to, like, mid-July, that'd be perfect, because then I can just start talking about the Bengals. And now, you know, 
into August, the Reds are relevant. And my whole, my spiel on the radio is I'm trying to like spin it in a positive way. And there's more people on Twitter and social media like, oh, they don't have a chance. Why are you so positive? You know how this is going to end. I'm like, look, I think, you know, all along it was like 2020 for the Reds of what they're building. And now all of a sudden, you know, they are a couple games out of the wild card, a couple games out of the division. And it's just, to me, in August, exciting time with the Reds is good, great for the city. I feel like, it, and I might be wrong, but I feel like it's a rare thing here that the three most prominent sports talk people, you, Mo, and Lance, are local guys. Yeah. So you're you're like fans almost as much as you are like doing your job. Is that do you is that something you've had to dial back like your fandom? Oh, yeah. Like you like talking with your heart? Yeah. Like when you're on the radio? Yeah, way too much. Especially when we start like divulging into like UC and Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well it's Cincy three sixty, so for every time you talk about UC, you better talk about Xavier some too. So it's like Okay, let me dial back Cincinnati. <laughs> let me build up my savior. How do you do that during football season, though? I don't very well. I just think that... Um, well, Xavier football. You know, yeah. They're, they're That's what great. I tell people. <laughs> I do, like, segments like, well, that's a lot of you see today from the Xavier people on social media. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know how the club team is looking this year. <laughs> yeah. like, when basketball comes, we'll have Travis Steele on, and we'll see what happens there. But it is. it's hard, like... <laughs> I mean, I grew up locally going to Reds games, going to Bengals games, going to UC games. So to take all that in and put aside being a fan, and it's like the side of things like being a former player, I used to hate what I do. Like, I hated media people. Really? Because you get into, like, you'll hear, like, a write-up that they do or you'll hear something they say. Like, like Mo, criticizing Yeah, you. like, Mo Agger, after the Orange Bowl said on a night, Tony Pike became Tony Pick. After four interceptions, so oh, man. that's like Mo, you know, 10, 11 years ago, I hated the dude, and now he's one of my better friends, and I work with him, but it's yeah. just like... Well, they'll be throwing interceptions. I know, now. that's the thing, but it's like people, like you don't, as an athlete, you don't listen to the media all the time, but there's times like social media where it'll get back around to you, or you'll be driving your car, and you'll randomly hear something, and it's like, man, I don't like that dude. Yeah. That dude, so now, like, I try to, like, play, I like... I try to go on both sides of the fence. Like, I still know a lot of the players with the Bengals. So, like, if it's a guy I know, like, I'm not going to talk bad about him. Yeah. Kevin Huber's got a great leg. Doug Flynn and uh, and Brantley and, and Sam LeCure and Danny Graves, like, talking to those guys, like, they yeah. all say the same thing. They're like, man, I hated hearing people talk bad about yeah. the guy I played. He's like, and now that I'm on the broadcast side. I kind of get, I kind of get that they're doing their job, right? And I do kind of see when people aren't hustling, even though they yeah. probably don't want to hear that they're not hustling. You don't get whatever. to, you don't get to see it when you're a player, <laughs> but now I see it as I'm doing like Bengals practice and covering that stuff, like how players look at me, like oh, what's this guy want? Oh, what's this guy? You know, what's this guy want an interview? I'm like, I just, I'm just here. I'm just. Do they know you? Ass. Like, do they do they know that you're a former NFL player that they'll. Uh, They'll talk to you different than maybe, like, uh, just a regular reporter? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen that, especially the guys like Jesse Bates for the Bengals played at Wake Forest with my brother. So I knew Jesse before he got drafted with the Bengals. He had a great year last year. Obviously, I went to UC with Kevin Huber. And just being around the city for so long, I've met and I know Andy Dalton and, and A.J. Green and those guys. And um, it's 
it's easier, but it's also at the same time like, okay, well, I'm like teetering the line here because they're cool with me now. And the one time they hear me bashing them, I'm going to, I'm going to fall off the face of the earth to those guys. But I'm waiting for, I mean, Zach Taylor now at the Bengals, he was at UC for a while. I, I kind of go to, go to practice dressed more as a, you know, like casual shorts and a t-shirt in hopes that, you know, maybe he brings me out there to throw for a couple of drills. Really? You know, I'm, I'm hoping to be like a practice. Like baseball has like bullpen catchers. Yeah. What if I could just be like a practice arm? Why not? Yeah, totally. You know, like uh, when the linebackers need someone to throw interceptions to them. Do they still have the taxi squad? <laughs> Tony Pick. Yeah, Tony Pick. I'm the guy. Yeah, Tony I'm Pick. the guy. <laughs> you can make a jersey. Yes. <laughs> Allegedly, a former editor of mine was on the Bengals taxi squad back in the 70s. And uh, that's what he, that was his whole job was just, uh, he was never going to be elevated to the roster, but yeah. he was good enough to like throw, you know, like those guys at the home run derby, they just, that, you know, yeah. would they usually get a pitching coach or someone to serve up those? Now it's all different stuff. Yeah. It could be now they take it serious. And, yeah. Yeah. Jock Peterson was like having tryouts for, for, for people to pitch to him. Yeah. <laughs> no, hilarious. it is. It, I mean, practice squad and guys like that. Yeah. And the, especially, I mean, that in the NFL, I think that it's like a hundred grand now to be on the practice squad. Wow. Which isn't a bad way of living. You oh. get your weekends off yeah. while the yeah. team travels, and basically you run scout team all week. So let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go back. Like you, so you are a local guy, Reading High School, Reading, Pride of Reading, Blue Devils. You went to UC football games as a kid. Like yeah. I don't ever remember. Like I don't remember any of my friends going to UC football. Games. I had to. I mean, I, I love UC basketball. My grandpa had season tickets. And at that time, if you wanted basketball season tickets, you had to buy football tickets. Oh, really? Yeah. They could do that? Yep. So if you bought football season tickets, you would get access to the basketball season tickets. Oh, wow. So a couple of years ago, it switched. When basketball was down, you had to buy the football tickets. But my grandpa would get all the basketball tickets. And I'd be like, okay, well, if no one's going to the football game. And at that time, you could go down there and sit wherever you want. Right. So you're sitting like a row behind all the players. And, you know, for me growing up and enjoying football... Yeah, I would always go down there. I would told by a lot of guys like that I ruined and that our teams ruined that for people. Like Steve Wolf, big Xavier guy and, and CBS guy was like, I could bring my kids growing up anytime I want and then you guys start winning and we have to do assigned seats and all that happy stuff. So yeah, it was I grew up going down there. So out of illustrious Reading High School I had all of two scholarship offers for football and Really? Yeah. That's what I was about to ask is was you see because you were a fan, was it like a place you wanted to go, or was it just a local school that really paid attention to you? I had like four offers in baseball. I had a couple for like Wright State, Finley type schools in basketball, and then Toledo was my only offer in football. And at the end of the at the end of everything, and this is back like growing up, like you make your own huddle tape, you make your own highlights, VHS, send them off to all these schools. Well. Um, me and my dad made one. I was like, well, let's let's take it down to UC and see what happens. So we take it down. And you can imagine like a father and a son showing up at a coach's office. With a VHS. Hey, watch my tape. Watch my son. He's the best thing in the world. Um, and uh, the quarterback coach at the time, Dan Enos, told me, he's like, we already had a quarterback. I took the tape and I just tossed it to the side. And there was an offensive line coach, Jeff Yulineg, who was actually in uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Really? He was the My favorite comedy of yes. all time. He really? was the yes. he was the he played for the Dolphins. He was the guy in the urinal. Yeah. That they, they checked down and yeah, and checked out <laughs> Jim Carrey. Oh. That was him and he was at the last game of my And then he pranced out? Yeah. Yeah. That was him. 
We had no idea until like our second preseason camp and they showed that. <coughs> oh, but man, he was walking funny. by and saw my name on the highlight tape and told the coach, like, hey, I just watched him play. You should you should watch that. And that's how I ended up at UC on the off chance that a Ace Ventura extra <laughs> asked the coach to watch my film. That's wow. so great. And, and so – was like, were you planning on Toledo until that yeah. happened? Yeah, up until that. But that's that point. not. I mean, Mac is not. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's no slouch. Yeah, that was that was going to be where I went. Baseball. It's weird in baseball. Most of them are just partial scholarships that they offer, and I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall with basketball. I just that wasn't going to be my my calling card. John Meeker yeah. may do. Well, it. you know, Meeker's a lot faster than I am. <laughs> but no, it was it was like the last minute and. Worked out pretty well. So, before that, before you made that decision, like if as you're in high school and you're like the standout of three sports, if you had your pick, which one did you want to play the most? Probably football. Really? And I didn't start really playing football until I was a freshman in high school. I uh, my dad played linebacker at high school and played at Kent State, and I just I, for whatever reason I enjoyed baseball and basketball growing up. And uh, my first game of my freshman year, my dad finally talked me into playing, and they put me at safety. And I was, I mean, when I graduated Reading, I was like 6'6", 160, maybe. When I was a freshman, I was like six foot 95 pounds. I mean, just a rail. And they put me at safety, first game ever playing defense. And uh, I remember a running back from Madeira came through the hole. I had no idea what I was doing. And he literally just ran me right over. And was stepping on me as he ran me over, <laughs> and his his foot got caught underneath my face mask, and he fell. And that was my tackle. And I went I back see. to the line. I went back to the huddle. <laughs> I did. I, I went back to the huddle, and the guy's like, "You got to go. You're bleeding." And I'm like, "What?" I had I had a gash in my lip. I ended up having to get five stitches. My first ever game as a freshman because I got ran over. Wow. Most disappointed I've ever seen my dad like coming out of the stands. <laughs> oh my gosh! Is it a JV game? Oh no, freshman football. Oh, freshman, freshman okay. football. That's just it. So he's you know coming down you know big college linebacker son's first game playing safety and I get trucked. I told him I was like I don't think I want to play football anymore and he's like all right well let's just see what happens let's give it another try maybe a different position and later that year I got put a quarterback. So. How'd that happen? That's a, I mean, that's yeah, a how weird, do you go from... I think it was basically like, all right, let me try something else where I don't have arm. to hit. Yeah. Just a, yeah. a strong... I mean, I grew up pitching and, and doing all that stuff, and it was just, okay, let me try to play somewhere else. And at quarterback, I was like, okay, I can control if people hit me or not, and I don't have to tackle people. So it was a great reminder not to throw interceptions so I don't have to make a tackle, because <laughs> yeah. I would just flash back yeah. immediately to the guy from Madeira running me <laughs> yeah, over. that's hilarious. Yep. You end up at UC. Who was the head coach at that time? Uh, Mark D'Antonio. Okay. Was just coming in. He was just getting there. Yep. But he wasn't what, – how long was he there? Two years? Uh, three? Three. So, D'Antonio came in. I mean, I and I played – I'll go back. I played quarterback as a freshman at Reading. My, my, uh, my freshman sophomore year, we had Deshaun Wynn as a running back, and he ended up going to Florida, winning a national championship uh, when they beat Ohio State, played in the league. So, we didn't really pass the ball until my junior year of high school. And then all of a sudden we were this like shotgun, no huddle spread, never taking under center snap. So I ended up going to UC. It was a little different because Mark D'Antonio comes in and he's like this big 10 power. We're going to line up in I formation and run the ball in first and second down, no matter what. And at the time I was just like, what am I doing here? Like I'm, you know, 
trying to gain weight, trying to, to understand how to do under center stuff. And I think at the time, if, if there was eight quarterbacks on the roster, I was number nine. I think they were going to use like position players before they would have used me at that time. So it was a, it was, it was funny. D'Antonio, I didn't fit into his offense, but at D'Antonio as a person was one of the best people I've ever known. Really? I mean, just a solid dude. I saw him two years ago. And granted, I never played under D'Antonio. I saw him two years ago at a camp. He comes up, he says, how's my, how's your mom and dad? How's Steven Sherry doing? You know, how's, how's Devin? How's your brother? So, you know, a guy that never even played for him, he took the time to know background of my family and stuff and remembers all. I mean, think of all the players he's coached over yeah. that time, uh, that he's just a genuinely good dude. Uh, but obviously he moves to Michigan State and then the, uh, the waters kind of part for me. A coach comes in that runs the same style of offense that I ran in high school in Brian Kelly. And how was, like, what was that like to, because D'Antonio followed up Rick Minner. Rick Minner. Yeah. Who really kind of started the yeah. program around. Yep. Right? Yeah. I mean, they had some key wins during his stretch. And then D'Antonio's here for a cup of coffee before yep. getting the Michigan State job. Yep. Right? So after those two guys, that's when the UC job sort of became like a job that coaches on the up circled yep. as like, this is where you yep. go before that's the you next get step. your big one. Yeah. Right? That's the next step. Uh, it was terrible at first. It was awful. I mean, Brian Kelly came in and he ran this uh, shotgun, no huddle offense, but he wanted a athletic quarterback that can run as well. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, my like 6'6", 185 stature didn't just scream out mobile quarterback at the time. <laughs> yeah. Scrambler. So it was a it was another series. My whole uh, Kelly's first year, I was like fourth or fifth on the depth chart. Uh, and then going into my junior year, we went to Camp Higher Ground, and I'm sitting there and I'm just miserable. This is like my fourth or fifth camp at this time, and I'm not getting any reps. And Camp Higher Ground is like you're staying in a bunkhouse with eight other dudes. All you're doing is football, no cell phones, like straight remember the Titans type of stuff. <laughs> and I remember Brian Kelly came up to me and he's like, look, I just want to have this talk with you before camp. You're like seventh on the depth chart. Uh, if you don't show us something during camp – We'll honor your scholarship, but there's no point of you being on this team. It's like, good Lord. Wow. This was like at the start of my junior season. So had a long talk with my parents and, and came back. And um, he, had, he had said, I'm going to give you an opportunity and I'll give you a chance. And if that, you know, if you don't show what you can do, then we're going to move on. So end up getting a chance and I climbed from seventh string to second string by the end of camp. So I had a really good camp, and uh, first game of the season, we're at Oklahoma, and Dustin Grutza, who was the starter, ends up breaking his leg, and I went in against Oklahoma, and after that, it was kind of, that was it. That was, it was, you were the guy. It was a, yeah, Oklahoma was, you know how they do that, like, boomer sooner wagon, like, after every touchdown, the yeah. the horses run the wagon out to, like, the 50 and turn, I'm pretty confident that at halftime, the horses were getting IVs. Because they, they had scored that many points against us that the horses, like, they were running with, like, their tongue out and tired. And I was just like, was like all right, this is good. I mean, Let me go into this game. Is that a scary play? I mean, Oklahoma, that's proper. Yeah. I mean, not, said, this isn't Toledo or even, you know. Kansas yeah, that's, that's not the first game you want, especially, like, yeah. when you're down by, like, 30. And the defense knows, like, you have to pass. 
So it's like, all right, let's just gear up and, and run. I remember my, my first, one of my first passes, it was like a five yard out. And I just, I threw the thing almost as hard as I could right through the receiver's hands, <laughs> intercepted. What made the tackle? I redeemed myself on the tackle. <laughs> oh, nice. With your face mask? Yeah, no, I, I led. It was a, if, if now in football, it would have been a helmet-to-helmet for sure. I mean, I, I gave everything I had into that tackle. But no, I ended up, we ended up going down and scoring on a possession late in the game. And then uh, from there, it just kind of took off. But what about the pressure? Like, you know, getting put into that game. I mean, yeah, you know you're a second string, and any second you could go in. But do you really think there's a chance that you even play in that game? No, or, no. Then all of a sudden, you're in it. You're like... I, tra- I train so many quarterbacks now, and I'm like, look, the hardest job in football, it's like a backup quarterback because you don't get any reps during the week. But if you go into the game, not, not one of those fans is like, oh, let's take it easy. I'm sure you didn't get many reps this week. <laughs> right? <laughs> like you're expected to go in there and perform right away. So I learned at, a, at an early time that I better keep myself ready. Uh, and then for me, it was like a, you know, this whole like riding cloud nine of starting, and I think I started two games or three games and then broke my arm. So it was like I wait four years, start a couple games, break my arm. I'm like, okay, well, now my, that's, that's my career. How'd you break your arm? Uh, I was at Akron. It was just a – I had thrown and had my arm pinned against my body, and it just smashed the uh, the bone in my forearm. So originally, Akron – I'm not kidding you. Akron had like a wooden table for an x-ray machine. It was the worst. I mean, it was it was so small. I'm six six. I didn't like my knees fit on the table. We're taking this X-ray, and they're like, "Ah, might be out." You know, eight to ten weeks, which at the time would have been the whole season. So just go ahead and chalk that one up. So we ended up doing the UC medical staff ended up doing a like a three week training regimen where I casted it up, and then I basically played with a full cast on it the rest of the year. So we changed the offense, didn't do any under center stuff. Um, really protected it, and then rode it out all the way into the Orange Bowl, where I emphasly be, and you know I, I became Tony Pick from <laughs> Moager. And I remember that whole offseason, like oh, if I ever see this Moager guy, like, I'm going to give him a piece of like who's he to say that about? That was me? your junior year. Yeah, junior year we went to the Orange Bowl. Senior year we went to the Sugar Bowl. Sugar Bowl. Okay. Yep. All right. So you're going into your senior year. Yeah. Your arms healthy. Yeah. And you guys, this is you guys. Uh, you guys had the, I guess, sort of. You could call it the benefit of still being in the Big East. Yeah. So you were like, you could have an undefeated mm-hmm. season and get a big bowl yeah. game. Whereas a UC team right, right now, now could have an undefeated season and not yeah. make a. Not well, they'd have to schedule like UC this year would have to beat <laughs> UCLA and Ohio State and teams like that to even have a shot at it. Right. Um, we went in. We we had so many guys returning my senior year, and I think we were picked like third or fourth in the league. So we had like a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. Because Louisville was pretty We had good. Louisville, West Virginia yeah. at the time with like Pat White and Steve Slayton and those guys. Uh, Connecticut football, believe it or not, was good yeah, at that time. That. Pittsburgh yeah. was in the Big East. So Big East was, was really good at that time. And that was a fun, that was yeah, a fun time. Rutgers. Yeah. So we, i never forget, we started my senior season at Rutgers. And it was on a, it was like Labor Day or something like that. So we were the only game on a Monday. Uh, ESPN primetime game. Rutgers had just renovated their stadium. If you remember, that was like the Ray Rice, Greg Schiano, Rutgers teams that yeah. had climbed up to like number seven in the national polls. And Rutgers was picked to win the league and they were picked to win that game. All kinds of stuff that you could put on a bulletin board. And, and I remember we, we went through and just absolutely like mopped the, the field with them. Like we, we killed them. 
we ran like an ungodly, like we, we ran like 98 plays in that game, which for a college football team was like an, an ungodly pace. Like we were on the forefront of that type of speed. So essentially we were running a play before the defense was lined up and teams just hadn't seen that speed. And I think we left that Rutgers game and it was like, wasn't said, but I think everyone kind of felt like, well, we could be really good this year. And was that just, Brian Kelly's vision the whole time was to run that kind yep, of offense? Yep. And essentially it's it's genius because, you know, the the best things defenses can do is blitz and hide different blitzes and rotate at the last second. Well, it got to a point we were going so fast, if a team was going to blitz, they were just lining up in the blitz. If a team was, you know, they couldn't they couldn't hide what they were going to do. So on our end, then all of a sudden we start lining up quick and we fake a snap and now we have full vision of what the defense is doing. So just easy to pick apart and go. And it was, it was, it made being a quarterback a lot easier. And and it didn't hurt to have like Isaiah Pete and Armand Benz and Marty Gilliard and those guys. Yeah. It's a benefit of a lot of good receivers. So at what point during that season did you, like you, you beat Rutgers who was yep. the pick, but at what point in the season did you go, this is like, this is special. We went on the road to Oregon State, who was a top 15 team, and won at Oregon State. Loud stadium, going across the country. Leaving that, I was kind of like looking at the rest of the schedule like, okay, we can beat anyone on the schedule. Um, obviously, it there were close games, and then I re-break my arm against South Florida uh, my senior season. So my senior year, we had a bye week. And we're getting ready to go play South Florida, and we're like, top 10 in the country, and I'm doing, like, first take on ESPN. I'm, like, fourth in the Heisman race at this time, like, getting all these notoriety around the program, and we go to South Florida, and I know Jason Pierre-Paul, who's obviously still playing in the league, came off the edge and, and hit me, and I went to brace my fall with my left arm, and just basically the plate the plate that was installed on my broken bone shifted and went through my bone again. <laughs> so I rebroke my arm. And that was the play uh, Zach Kolaris came in, had a long touchdown run. And I think I only met, I missed two weeks of that. And we actually had my, my third week back. I, I felt awful for Zach because we played West Virginia at home. And the game plan was Zach was going to play unless we got in the red zone. And then I was going to go and just being a little bit taller and being able to see different spots in the red zone. But I didn't want, I wasn't allowed to take a hit. So Zach would literally like drive the team down the field. We'd be like on the 15 yard line. I'd come in and do a touchdown pass. <laughs> Zach would drive the team. I was I threw like three passes that game and had two touchdowns. And then from then like just started plays. to go back in and leads all the way up to the Pittsburgh game and which which may be like my favorite. It's got to be easily one of my top college football games yeah. I've ever watched. And I think I told you this story. So that day, the Pittsburgh game, I'm at Reds Fest. Mm-hmm. And I had access at that point to the like lounge because I Doesn't was considered a performer. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and uh, I'm watching that game on a couch, sitting next to Joey Votto and Tom Brenneman and like all these like Reds players and and um, front office people. Brought everyone's huddled around the TV mm-hmm. in the lounge, yep. and nobody wants to go do whatever they have to go do because like the importance of this game. It's yeah. like snowing and then you guys go down and what happens at halftime? 
Oh, well, we, we were down a lot. And uh, it's 31 to 10. I had three interceptions in the first half. But not a lot of people understand my third interception. I mean, I basically had to chase a guy down and push him out of bounds. It could have been a game-saving tackle. I mean, I talk, believe you. talk about full circle. I go from my first tackle getting run over <laughs> yeah. to a game-saving tackle. And that, that game in itself, if we win, we go to a BCS game. If we would have lost, we would have went to, like, the Meineke Car Care Bowl. And nothing against Meineke. Or the Car Care Bowl, but yeah, they're friend, a friend of the show. Of the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we're talking about like a pollen weed eater bowl. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about like BCS all the way to like the Meineke Bowl, and we're down thirty-one ten at halftime, and we get in the locker room, and you know I'm I'm waiting because usually we come and do adjustments on the board. And Brian Kelly comes over. He's like, I just want you to know that you're going to apologize to every one of these players after the game for ruining their perfect season. <laughs> Ooh. And he walked away. I'm sorry to laugh. And I'm like, huh. So no adjustments? We're just going to go with that? <laughs> so the quarterback coach comes in and we make adjustments. So, yeah, he was like, you're going to apologize to this team for ruining their perfect I, I was that bad. So people talk about the Pittsburgh game all <laughs> the time. supposed to help you out? It's I don't know. Psyche of I don't player. know. People talk about the Pittsburgh game all the time. I talk about the second half of the Pittsburgh game. I never talk about the first half because I don't even know. It was like a blur. It was. You mentioned it was snowing. It was I was so cold in the first half, I couldn't wait to get to the heated benches. Like, you know, if you're, like, miserable, you're, like, struggling with something. Yeah. Like, you can't wait to, like, you just, it you just, be done with it, it just compounds even yeah. more. So, like, the snow and the cold, I'm like, I just want to get to the bench. Like, I'm freezing. I'm looking at the sideline and, like, getting the next play, and I see Zach Calaris warming up behind the coach. Like, <laughs> oh, I got about one more series here, and then they're going to pull me. And then things just started to click in the second half, and we got on one of those rolls, and... And it we, was awesome. Yeah. I, I enjoy more of stuff like like your stories because there's so many like that I come across with different people of, I remember exactly where I was for that game. I remember what we were doing. We stopped everything. Or I remember like there were friends of mine that left the game, like came to Pittsburgh for the game and left early because they're like, oh, Tony just doesn't have it today. My own buddies. So like they miss and like they watch the end of the game in Pittsburgh bars. But to hear, like, their stories from the Pittsburgh bars where, like, they're the only UC fans. <laughs> and you got to imagine a Pittsburgh bar, like, yeah. up 31 to 10. Yeah. As a, yeah. So to come back from that, I remember in the third quarter they played Sweet Caroline throughout the stadium. And it was the loudest. Like, the stadium was shaking. And I was just like, wow, this is pretty cool. And we just, you know, pieced it together, pieced it together, pieced it together. And then, you know, to, to make the last drive and, and to win the game and, you know, the whole – I never thought, you know, the whole Pike to Benz thing, like it's bigger today than it was then. Like it grows on social media every year on that date. They're doing a Pike to Benz bobblehead this year at UC. I, I know. They're wow. commemorating the the 09 team. I mean, it's it's crazy uh, how that play has grown since that play. I mean, it's become more and more popular and more of a big thing every year. Well, I mean, I mean, for all intents and purposes, like – you look at where you see coaches went after they left here. Yeah. And even still, Notre Dame, like especially in these parts where, oh, yeah. you know, there's as many Notre Dame fans as there yeah. are UC fans. I mean, that's how I grew up was a Notre Dame fan. That the UC head coach would get the Notre Dame job. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I look at, minus Tommy Tuberville. I mean, D'Antonio went to Michigan State. He's still there. Yeah. Brian Kelly went to Notre Dame, still there. And Butch, Butch Jones, Jones, I mean, you can't laugh at taking the Tennessee head coaching job. So, yeah. I mean, there's been some some coaches that have come through, like 
I always saw like, they're like, well, Cincinnati's a stepping stone. I'm like, but is it? Like, these coaches are leaving for dream jobs. Like, it's not like people are leaving Cincinnati to go to Georgia Tech. Right. And you're not leaving Cincinnati to go to Louisville or something right. like that. Like, you're leaving Cincinnati for your dream job. It's kind of yeah. like Xavier basketball. It is. The, the coaches they've lost. It's like, okay, Chris Max at Louisville. Wake Forest, Ohio right. State, Arizona. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're not leaving for, oh, I'm just leaving because that's an ACC job. Like these right. coaches leave for really good football jobs. Yeah. And my, th- my thought process, and I've talked to the AD about this, if a coach comes in for two years and he takes a job at Ohio State, I'm great with that because that means in those two years, UC football is back where it needs to be at the top. Right. They're not leaving. Right. They're not, yeah. they're not leaving if they're eight and four. Right. They're not leaving if they're seven and five in the American Athletic Conference. Like, you have to do something special to get another job. So, you can take the Tommy Tupperville approach. And you can take a coach that's just coasting and, and not really reaching for that next level. Or you get a coach that, hey, I'm going to take this job, and there's maybe two jobs that I'd leave for. Yeah. Now, what about what that. about the manner in which they leave? Like, like I, I know Brian Kelly probably didn't have a choice, and they're like, oh, you know, you're going to take this job, you're going to be here yeah. tomorrow. But, you know, ditching out on the bowl game. It's different. And really even, was he up front with the players, or did you guys wow. just kind of know? Because it's like, I remember, like, the press conferences or whatever were just like, Oh no, I'm here, I'm here. Yeah. And, and then, like, the next day, oh, Kelly's out of town and he's not even going to coach the bowl game. Yeah, well, it could be a rumor, but I always heard that he, in his contract when he came to UC that he had a Notre Dame yeah. clause, like, specifically yeah. that school, that if they come calling, I can get out of yeah. this contract. Because that was always his dream. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that's what angered anyone in the situation. Like, Mark D'Antonio, when Mark D'Antonio left, uh, we had beat Rutgers, who was number seven in the country at Nippert Stadium. Fans rushed the field. One of like the it's like a catapult win for the program. That next day, Mark D'Antonio and our team meeting said, "Guys, I just want to be up front and honest with you. Uh, Michigan State's always been a dream job of mine. They've contacted me to come up and interview. I just want you to know that I'm going to interview." Okay, awesome. Because Mark D'Antonio didn't coach the bowl game either, but it was the way he went about. Hey guys, this is what's going to happen. I remember. So we're preparing for Florida in the Sugar Bowl. And at the time, that's Florida with uh, Aaron Hernandez. And it's Tebow's last Riley game. Riley Cooper. Yeah. Tim Tebow. Uh, the Pouncey Twins. Brandon Spikes. Uh, Joe Hayden. Major Wright. I mean, this is an NFL team. Urban Meyer's last game. Urban Meyer's getting ready to retire. Tebow's last game. So you can imagine, like, there's, there's a, like, for me, like, I'm watching the film and I'm like, holy cow, Carlos Dunlap was on that team. Yeah. And it's like, man, oh, man, and, and there's this rumor. So I I literally, it was like a day before our banquet, and we're on, on the practice field. And I, I walked up to Coach Kelly, and I kind of put my arm around him and said, hey, Coach, you know, a lot of rumors going on out there. Uh, you know, what what are you going to do? And he said, why would I why would I leave Cincinnati so that I can play for a national championship here? So at that time, I was like, okay, rumors are rumors. Like, he's going to be here. Yeah. Well, banquet comes, and we are literally five minutes before the banquet starts. And social media wasn't as big. But you, you could find stuff on the internet. Like five minutes before the banquet, it's announced on social media that Brian Kelly has taken the Notre Dame job. Brian Kelly still goes through the whole banquet talking about we and what we've accomplished this year and all that. And you can imagine, like, the whole time players just getting more and more angry. And it was like a minute in a, in a meeting room after that where he just kind of said, hey, I'm taking this job. Appreciate all you guys have done. And that was it. That was, to me, that was the last I heard from Brian Kelly until my brother played at Notre Dame three or four years ago. 
And that was the, that was the first time I talked to him. It was no like, wow. hey, you know, bowl game coming up, good luck, congratulations in the draft. You know, I never never heard from him. So he's just not a friendly guy in general, or I think he's not just real personable. He's just he's a football guy. Like Mark D'Antonio was more office door was always open. You go in and like Brian Kelly's door wasn't open much, but Brian Kelly X's and O's smartest guy I've ever met. Like he can flat out coach football. And that's all, like, that's what he wanted to do. I mean, he was a, a salesman. Guys would buy into what he was talking about. Uh, but just the way those two differentiated on how they left, I think, made a big difference. And where you saw the anger. Ten years later, we're doing a reunion this year. Brian Kelly's coming back. I don't have any anger. I mean, time's kind of moved past that. I'm thankful now that he was here and we were able to go undefeated in the regular season. Uh, the hard part was we're at New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. And we get down there. My brother's on the team. He's a walk-on freshman. And they get they have like a team meeting when we first get to New Orleans. And we have an interim head coach. And none of the other coaches know if they're being retained or not. So you imagine what these coaches are doing, like searching for jobs. Yeah. Like there's no like yeah. there's no extra meetings. It's like football ends. Okay, I'm interviewing. I'm doing different stuff because i got to figure out where I'm feeding my family next year. So we're like the, the first night down there, and, and we're getting a big spiel from like the New Orleans Police Department. And they give out these cards. And it's like, hey, if, if you have any trouble getting in anywhere or anyone starts any trouble, give them this card. And they'll call us, and we'll come get you and bring you back to the hotel. And it's like basically a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's amazing. And I remember like turning around and looking at my brother who was like, like this look on his face like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like we're in trouble. Like, this isn't going to be good because when you don't have a head coach, you don't have much curfew. You don't have much structure. It's like practice ends. Hey, be on the bus at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. And it, you're talking about sitting in New Orleans. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Right. This so the whole good. team hit up Bourbon Street or what? The team was on Bourbon Street a lot. <laughs> um, I was, I, I would get so nervous before games that I would like, I couldn't eat. And I'm like, we're down in. I'm like just watching film. Like we still have to get through this game. Like we still have to play. Like like this team's just going to come out because they had lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Yeah. Like they want to come out and embarrass us. And it was just a it was a complete cluster from the start to the finish down there of just order and what we're doing and it just. What was it like seeing that? Playing against that team after, like, they were they unlike any team you'd yeah. ever played against? My, my brother ended up getting recruited to Louisville when Charlie Strong was there. And I would go on visits with Devin, and Charlie Strong would be like, that's the best defense I've ever coached or been around or known. Remember, Carlos Dunlap was suspended for the SEC title game, and Alabama beat him, putting Alabama in the national title, which we were a second away from playing in. I mean, after we beat Pittsburgh, we were on the bus – uh, and Texas was playing Nebraska. That's right. That's and, right. I forgot about and that. And Dominican Sue was, like, as time was running out, went to sack Colt McCoy. McCoy threw the ball out of bounds, and the clock expired. Texas was two in the country. We were three. So if that game ends, we're now in the national title. Brian Kelly probably can't leave a national championship game. Like, you're probably going to coach in that. So that changes, like, the whole course of UC history after that. Um, they put a second back on the clock. They make the field goal by, like, a foot. Texas goes to the national title. We end up with Florida. I mean, obviously, we matched up way better with Bama. 
You know, we, we would have, that would have been a, a great matchup for us. Uh, but no, it just, how the, the cookie crumbled and we played against, you know, a really good NFL cat. It was, it was so bad. I, I, I ended up, I, I talked to him about this last year. Carlos Dunlap was hit, he hit me so much in that game. He started helping me up. And there's like nothing more like a way to rub it in for a quarterback. <laughs> Then when a guy just starts helping you up after come he here, hits man. you. Let me help you. Yeah, it was like tackle. Come here. Let me help you up. Tackle. Let me help you up. I think he just wanted me to get up so he could like pad his stats more. Like, hurry up. I want to get another sack. Hurry up. I want to hit you again. Then well, it was just a you know, we we got down a little bit and that defense when a, a guy like Carlos Dunlap knows you have to pass the ball and he's not worried about the run game. A guy like that pinning his ears back. I mean, you see what he does at the NFL level. Yeah. Think about that at the college level. It just it wasn't fun for me. So, what was the first thing that, that went through your mind when you heard there's there's a local company out there making shirts that are trying to help me huh. win a Heisman? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I my, I know my family enjoyed the shirts because I'm pretty sure they probably bought half of them. <laughs> I enjoyed it. You I know I, who you know who Mo. started that it was Mo Mo Egger. Mo, yep. Mo in his office. I don't know if you know. Mo has a cease and desist letter from the Heisman Trust, <laughs> the Heisman Committee. Yeah, because as Mo tells it, Mo got like a call from UC, like, "Hey, you got to stop selling these shirts." Yep, so do we. And Mo's yeah. like, "Why?" He's like, "Well, like Tony's going to get suspended." Mo's like, "Oh, that's not my problem." Like Mo was just going to keep selling, and then the Heisman Committee sends Mo a cease and desist, and that's when I think Mo pulled back and was like, "Okay, this is serious." He's like, yeah, I, I got a letter from the Heisman Committee. That's pretty cool. We got our first letter uh, from UC saying that it could mess with your eligibility yeah. because it's a collegiate player's so mm-hmm. name on a shirt. Then we got the cease and desist from the Heisman Trust. That's got to be pretty cool for you to get, though. It was pretty cool. I'm yeah. Lie to you. I mean, how many letters do you get from the Heisman, Heisman well, Trust? <laughs> well, Mo, you know, Mo was great. And, um, that might have been our second. Did we get one for Maurice Claret? We had one that said Heisman, and then it said Heistman. And it showed him with, like, a gun in the Heisman pose. We, I don't know if we got dinged for that, but... Uh, that's a solid shirt. We've gotten a lot of dings. I mean, that would be a great podcast, is to just go back through the... Oh, yeah. Um, cease and desist we've got from Wendy's, Ohio State. Yeah, our first one was from Wendy's. Our first one ever was from Wendy's. <laughs> That's fantastic. It had Dave Thomas on the front, and it just said, "Damn, it feels good to be a gangster." With the uh, Dave Thomas <laughs> holding the special. Um, I mean, do you guys have to go through any stuff when you guys make your shirts? I mean, we do now, yeah, for sure. But back then, it was like, "Now nah, let's just go with it." Back then, we were just trying to get on the map, yeah, you know. Uh, but I mean, it's not like we were selling any quantities either yeah. to make it worth anyone's time. Like, hey, yeah, because like you off. said, social media, like it was hard for stuff to really go viral. Yeah, it's nowhere close to what so it is having, now. So having Mo plug it from his blog. Yep. Um, and then the the pro, like we donated part of the proceeds to a, a kid's family. Yeah. Uh, Mitch's mission? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but was that, well, was that cool to have oh, yeah, see somebody was, making a t shirt? That was all. Like I grew up, I remember when I was like a freshman at UC and you'd like go to the bookstore and you'd see like, jerseys of people's numbers and i was always like man i'll never have but that would be cool if i had my number on one of those jerseys but then to see like where it grew like growing up in cincinnati and being like my first spring game there was like 400 people there 
going to like selling out games, winning Big East championships, winning BCS games, uh, being a top five team in the country, and then your name's like on the Heisman watch list, like a legitimate <laughs> yeah, candidacy. It was it was unreal for me of going from like Reading, Ohio to that. Uh, and it you didn't did, play college until you're a junior, right? And it propelled a lot of stuff. The city of Reading uh, gave me a Heisman Trophy, a replica. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, and there was like there was like people all over Reading. It was at Hafey Fieldhouse. It was before the Sugar Bowl, and they had like a Heisman Trophy presentation. It was like a replica of the Heisman Trophy, and like every third person in the crowd had a Pike for Heisman shirt on. That's I was like, awesome. "This is this is pretty sweet." Do you still have that trophy? Oh, absolutely. That's great. That's that's one of two trophies that I kept from really my football playing career. It was that, and then when I got to Carolina, uh, I got drafted the same year as Jimmy Clausen. Yeah. And the offensive line that year didn't draft a quarterback or didn't draft a lineman. So you're talking about like, okay, I'm thinking to myself like, I'm a six round pick. You know, there's one other quarterback in the room, and usually like you have to do something with your position group dinner or something for the holidays. So I'm sitting there and it's like, I'm going to get off easy. Like me and Jimmy got to buy Matt Moore dinner. It'd be like $100. Well, the offensive line puts two and two together and they come and they're like, hey, you're taking uh, you're taking the offensive line out to dinner, you and Jimmy. I'm like, oh, okay, great. And it was Del Frisco's in South Park uh, down in, in Carolina. And I remember going down to the dinner, I was like shaking. I'm like looking at the menu. I stopped and got McDonald's on the way. I just had rolls and water at dinner, trying to like cap every expense possible. And there's like 14, 15, 16 linemen here. And it's like steak, biggest steak you got. I'll take a glass of this. Give me these appetizers. And I'm like trying to do the math in my head. And I'm thinking, okay, like, oh, okay, this is carry the zero there and (laughs) that there. Like, this is not going to be good. So dinner ends, and I'm like, okay, we should be all right. Every one of those linemen ordered a bottle of Ace of Spades, like the champagne, yeah. which is like 800 bucks at that place, Ooh, a wow. bottle. The dinner itself ended up being like seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000 for these guys. <laughs> and Jimmy Clausen, freaking Jimmy, a second-round draft pick, looks at me. He's like, well, I guess we'll just split it. No, we're not splitting it. <laughs> You're a second-round pick. Like, look what guarantee you got. I was in the sixth round, bud. This, like this, and and like Jimmy was dead set on splitting it fifty fifty. I'm like on my like phone, like looking at my Bank of America account, like <laughs> I don't know if I can do this right now, guys. Uh, and uh, finally, Jordan Gross stepped in, and he's like, "Hey, seventy five twenty five. That's how it's going to be." So it ended up still being a nice, nice tab. But the linemen, <laughs> they all signed one of the bottles of Ace of Spades, so I have that in my. My man cave right now is a constant reminder of the most expensive dinner I've ever been to. Yeah, a bunch of jerks. That I had to pick up the tab to. Wow. So it was terrible and awesome at the same time. So Carolina, you get drafted, like you get drafted, which is awesome, right? But they also they draft two quarterbacks in the same draft. But you're still feeling pretty good about your chances, right? Because who was their quarterback? Matt Moore was the quarterback, and then uh, Hunter Cantwell, who was at Louisville, was on the roster as well. So we were going to keep three out of the four quarterbacks. They had Carolina had a draft grade on me of round three or four. And Jimmy Clausen kind of fell. And at the time of their second round pick, they didn't think that I would still be there in the third or fourth. So Jimmy fell. They took Jimmy. I was still there in the sixth. Like, we got to take him now. The hardest part about that was 
when you get drafted in sixth round, you don't know for sure if you're making the team. So I lived in a Holiday Inn Express for eight weeks down in, in Charlotte because you don't want to buy a place and you don't want right. to get into a place. So eight weeks of living in a Holiday Inn. I can say I've been there. It's great. <laughs> it's it's great because your room's clean every day and your room is made, but eventually like you just go crazy in those walls. Cook and, yeah. yeah. So end up making the team, get through my first year, played in a in, in a second half of a game against the New Orleans Saints, the same year of Bounty Gate. And I will say I was oh. I was I was hit late twice. Personal foul calls. Do the I'm, math. I'm, you do the math. I'm still waiting for some some repercussions there. <laughs> um, but uh, went into my second year, and I was in the off season, and I was throwing, and I, I wasn't throwing a tight spiral at all. Like I was losing uh, a little bit of velocity, and I didn't know why. And it just started to get worse and worse and worse. And finally, I went to the doctor, and they did a bunch of tests, and found that I was having nerve damage, and in my arm. So it was. It's similar to what a baseball pitcher goes through with Tommy John. It's an ulnar nerve transposition. I ended up doing the the surgery, and it didn't really take. So I had it redone, and, and it led to permanent nerve damage. So I I physically couldn't play football anymore. So as that's happening, the team drafts Cam Newton number one, <laughs> and it's kind of like, okay, so here's Cam Newton, and he's my height, but he's bigger, faster, stronger, like he's. He's like the... He's Superman. Yeah, he is. It's like those pictures you see of, like, expectation versus reality. Right. Like, he's the expectation, my picture's the reality. <laughs> it's just like... And it's just like everything kind of came together, and it was kind of like, you know, in the course of six months, I went from being on an NFL team, playing, living out my dream, to, hey, you can't play football anymore. So it was like a... I mean, a state of depression for, like, six months of, okay, what in the heck am I going to do now? And then end up moving back to Cincinnati, and now I can't stay. Now I'm too busy. <laughs> but that's good. Yeah. You know, football season around like football season alone. I do I do my own quarterback training. I have about 25 kids that I work with all throughout the week, different hours, weekends, and then I do like Tony and Mo football show on Mondays, mm-hmm. three to six. I do Cincy 360 noon to one. I'm doing the Bengals. Reports where I'm down there every day. I'll do a TV show with Fox Sports Ohio this year called Bearcats Insider. So football season ramps up in a good way and and stay nice and busy. And I'm going to do some pregame stuff for Bengals games here and there. So it'll be fun. And UC sideline reporting. I get to travel with UC. Do you like doing that? Because I feel like, like when did you know you wanted to get on the broadcast side? Did you just did you just enjoy doing that, or was it like a way to stay close to football? I just kind of just kind of lucked into it. It was a way to stay close. Tommy G, who does all the FC Cincinnati stuff, kind of friend of the show. Yeah, yep. He kind of just baptized me into it. He was the sideline reporter, and he went off to do his own thing, and I, I love that. And then we're literally we're on the bus to go to a game, and Mo looked at me, and he's like, "Hey, I do a show with Rocky on Mondays, and he can't make it tomorrow. You want to come in and do it?" And I was like, yeah. And then Rocky moved on to what he's doing. And I was like, you want to do it all the time? And to me, I'm like, like, what do I do on the weekends anyway? I watch sports. So you want me to come in and talk about what I watched and I get paid for it? Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of just sprung that way into more appearances, more opportunities. Uh, and and it's grown into what it is now. And it's at a point where I'm, I'm really happy with it. Well, I told you, and I didn't say it because we're friends. I told you Probably. that you, I said, you're good at, like, you need to make this into a full-time gig. Yeah. 
Because you were working at like um, the training D one. Yeah. Yep. And you were getting spots here and there, and right. I was like, "Man, you're really good at this." Yeah. And that's not. I mean, you don't. That's that's nice of you to say. <laughs> you you know appreciate I mean. that. Because we met, yeah. we met at the, the Mathis outing. We yes. got paired together playing golf. Yep. And I remember at that time, did two I, celebrities on one foursome. Well, they have a the Mathis outing would do uh, the day for the charity where yep. they were raising all their money, yep. and then av- the day after they would do a, a round of golf with just a celebrity. Yep. So there was like four celebrities, and that was a cool. Like that was an outing where like you would. You would putt on one hole with like a hockey stick and a tennis yeah, ball. Yeah, was There's like basketballs the all over the green. You can throw it. Everybody wants to do it. Was, it was a wacky. But it was like, it was the biggest uh, event yeah. in the city forever. They yeah. had uh, 22 holes at Kings Island for morning and afternoon with yeah. two teams on each hole. Yeah. That's how big the charity event was. Huge. Wow. But I remember when I first met you that round, you were. You gave me a CD. I, that's right. I did. You did. Shout out to my peeps. Maybe it could have been, or it might have been unacceptable. At that and you point. signed it. Yeah. It's like, wow, this is <laughs> cool. <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> That was uh, back before, like the the Spotify and all that stuff had taken off. So that went straight in the the CD player. Well, that's what I that's uh that's what my joke was is that you know because when you play in a celebrity outing and I'm someone celebrity, I always love the the facial expression when mm-hmm. they see that I'm their celebrity, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like you know the group in front of them has Jim Breach, <laughs> and then the group behind them has like George Foster, and then they've got me, yeah. you know. But then they find out I'm like an okay golfer, yep. and I give them all a CD, and I'd say, you know, no matter what happens today, you guys have already. Won. We get we get <laughs> we get to play in the Marty Brenneman, which I think is the best golf outing around for sure. And uh, I'm always nervous going up to the first tee because in an outing like that, like when people pay money to play, a lot of money, and they're like, <laughs> if if the team is serious, then they're expecting you to be serious. And I'm a, like, I don't take many practice swings. I like to have fun while I golf. I can hit the ball far. But let me tell you, I've, I've had a couple mornings where I've been up until like 4 a.m. in the casino with like Marty and these guys and mm-hmm. the cowboy just talking shop. And I get out and it's like an 8 a.m. tea time. It's 98 degrees. And the team I'm playing with, they take like eight practice swings before each shot. And I'm like sitting in the cart like, oh, my gosh, like I'm I feel bad for this team. Because I'm like letting them down. Yeah. I got like a towel draped over my neck <laughs> sitting there. And then like you par like two of the first three holes and you don't want to like crush them. But at the same time, you're like, hey, we're already out of this. Yeah. Like we're not going to win this at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so this, let's just enjoy this. But when we met, you were kind of, you kind of talked like I'm rehabbing. I hope I get yeah. another shot. You know, yeah. like at what point did you finally say, I need to I need to move on from this. Uh when you pretty much when the doctor said you need to move on. Oh really? I mean I was gonna I didn't wanna I didn't wanna look back and regret, you know, twenty years from now, like, man, I should at least try it a little harder yeah. to see if I could get back. Yeah. So I, I rehabbed until that doctor was like, Look, it's it's just not working. The nerve's not gonna heal. So now like I, I can throw a hundred passes and be fine, but like on one oh one I'll just lose feeling in my hand. Really? You're talking about like in an NFL type of practice you're throwing two three hundred passes easy Jeez. and at the time two a days you're throwing five six hundred passes really yeah so it just became one of those things like hey the writing's on the wall this isn't gonna work and then i mean i tried like i tried like pharmaceutical sales and i was like sitting in the, i went from like this active lifestyle I was sitting in a cubicle all day 
I was like, I can't do this. And ended up at D1 sports training, which kept me around sports uh, in some some fashion. And then the the radio stuff just started presenting itself and has kind of ballooned to where it is now. And is that, do you, I mean, you obviously like it. You're good yeah. at it. Is that what you'd like to continue doing? Do you ever see yourself coaching or anything like I, that? I enjoy the individual coaching because I get to impact and, and be around a lot more kids. Like if I were to, and no offense to high schools in the air, but a high school quarterback coach, you're probably pulling in like 1200 bucks for the season. And you got to be there every practice, which is at 3.30. And you got to be there on Saturday mornings. And for me, like that's just like I can I can do everything I'm doing and train quarterbacks whenever I want. So unless it's like a head coaching job, like some of these head coaches in Texas high school make like 150 and they get a house. So if, if there's any high schools in the area that want to offer something like that, I'd be happy to get into the coaching realm. And I'm pretty sure I could get together like a pretty solid staff. But what I'm doing now and, and being able to work with a bunch of different kids and to see those kids, a lot of them have the chance to go and play college football. and Or, you know, whether it's a kid that maybe would have never played varsity football have that chance or to go and get a scholarship at the next level, that's pretty fulfilling and, and cool to – to say I had a small hand in that of, of working with where this kid's at. What's your golf game down um, to now, Josh? I'm playing pretty good. I mean, every time I see, like, social media, it's not like – it's not you in the shop. It's like you on a, on a golf course somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I see. He's not folding T-shirts in the no. neck here? I don't see, like, any selfies of Josh folding the shirts. I, I see, like, Josh – Everybody gets here and after – I see Josh yeah. with, like, yeah. the, you know, the, the golf course behind him selfie. Yeah. They're all Mountain With Vegas this weekend. Oh, yeah. it's terrible. <laughs> you wouldn't believe this course I had to play this morning. <laughs> oh, okay. Gun to the <laughs> head. Tough. Josh is having to golf now. It's a grind. Yeah. Sorry. It's tough. What do you do? We have anything good lined up for Marty this year? Do you know who's you probably can't release it, can you? Um it's gonna be fun. It's, it's the that's the that's probably other than golf, that's the most enjoyable part of that weekend for me. How did you get into that uh, golf event? I don't know. Huh. Must be, I don't know. <laughs> I knew. That was like, Man. when I first got into it, everyone around was like, hey, like, whatever you do, don't miss this one. Like, you can miss other golf events. If you miss this one, like, you're off the list. Like, you have to come every year. And it is, like, the best. You get a hotel room for the night. You're playing at Belterra. It's awesome. I will, I will take I got him into the Marty Golf event and the Wiffle Ball Home Run Derby. I didn't Reds Fest. And then I won it and I didn't get invited back. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he does is he's like, hey, thanks for making me a part of this. I'm going to take it over from here. <laughs> your your services it. are no longer needed. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Um, I'm take it and run. So how okay? So how can people follow everything that you're doing? Uh, I'm uh, Tony underscore Pike fifteen on Twitter and on Instagram, and it's just Tony Pike on Facebook. And uh, from that, I have links to uh, the show. I do some. I do a, a Angry Quarterbacks podcast during football season where we actually talk high school football in Cincinnati, which is so big right now. And then every day noon to one on on ESPN fifteen thirty here in Cincinnati, you can hear my voice talk about. Uh, the Bengals, the Reds, Bearcats, Musketeers, some FC Cincinnati, and uh, and we would do some gambling. We do some yeah, we do some locks of the, of the night, which is was something we just kind of joked about, and it kind of took off, and has actually made it's a, a lot. Big, of, it's it's a, weird. It's a huge. It's weird thing because now, like though. there's like little like I'm from I'm from Reading, and there's like a little hole in the wall bar and in, in Reading called Augie's, and I'll like go into Augie's 
and it's just a bunch of older dudes, and they're like, hey, thanks for that bet. Appreciate that lock of the night. <laughs> you want a beer? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, this is great. <laughs> they're listening but to yeah, you. But yeah, like huh? they they pull in like a computer, like a desktop computer with a speaker and listen to the show at all, which I think is the coolest thing ever. Like, That's super just cool. Just to hear like locks yeah, and lights and stuff like that. Up. So yeah. it is. It's It's been. Do you have a track record on that? Like, do you win most of the time? Or? We win a lot of the times. We like to call ourselves degenerates because Mo, last night, Mo will come on for the last segment of the show and do the locks of the night. Yeah. And last night, Mo locked in like two Little League World Series games, <laughs> which is like the lowest low of degenerate. <laughs> like if you're betting Little League World Series, like you you need to get a little bit more of a life. Um, yeah, but Vegas might not have researched, you know, that. Well, that, yeah. and then I've, I've no, found it. Was, it was, I was in Vegas last week. It was on the TVs yes. at the sports book. And I have found that preseason football, if you actually just research it, is pretty easy to bet on. Uh, so we make yeah. good money during football season. Baseball is just more of a grind, and I don't have time to, to divulge into that. I did put 20 bucks on the Bearcats to win their conference. They were mm-hmm. coming off 6-1. to one. I like that. I felt like it was a good yeah. good value bet. Yeah, 85% <laughs> of the roster coming back. A good yeah. team coming back. I, I thought it, I felt I felt good about it. I appreciate the I confidence. I think Luke Fickle's doing a great job he over is. there. He's, he's definitely changing rec- minds because Tuberville like, lost he's definitely, all that. Well, he's recruiting Cincinnati. And when you recruit Cincinnati with how good high school football is in this area, you're going to have one of the top recruiting classes going. So, do you yeah. ever get called to do that kind of stuff? Recruit, help recruit? No, I mean I I've, I extend my service to those guys. If there's a quarterback or someone at a local school that I can talk to, I'm happy to talk to them for them. Or if I have a guy that may be under the radar or is about to you know blow up, I'll let them know. Okay, you might want to take a look at this guy. And what's your brother? Is he? He's done at Wake Forest. Yeah, he graduated. He played all four years at Wake Forest. Graduated and uh, been working at uh, Worldwide Express now, doing some logistics outside right. sales. Well, I think we should let you and everybody listening know that as of this podcast coming out, we have re-released the Pike for Heisman. Wow! Sure, tenth anniversary. So wow. let's try to keep the let's try to keep it local, so we don't get any letters from Heisman. At least we don't have to worry yeah. about don't be sharing with your it. eligibility <laughs> this time. Keep it on the download, the young people say. That's uh, that's big time stuff. I'll have to let the the whole family know, and I'm sure they'll they'll uh, they'll yep. they'll purchase plenty of them. For Is Redding prepared to do a 10th anniversary? That they the are. fans are going to need uh, Redding, another, another. Redding shirt? will be ready, <laughs> and once we release, you know, I, I can talk about it on the radio because they're all listening. Yeah, find an easy way to get it. I love it. So it's it's going to be a fun year. They're, they're the the whole tenth anniversary year of that 09 team is going to be fun. They're going to get the whole team back together. The bobbleheads are are sweet. They are sweet. Not that I've seen one in person, but I I've seen the commercials yeah. several times. Yes, yeah. you guys like the big red machine. They keep I will say, you out every time they want to fill the stadium. <laughs> one other thing. <laughs> and I don't know who I need to talk to. I'm just a little disappointed. I don't feel like the bobblehead is proportionate. Like my arm size, I feel like they could have added a little more definition. Uh, you guys are also a lot closer than that. Yeah, past and I've been told I've been two inches apart. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone tells me like, "Well, your head's proportionate." And I'm like, "Well, I appreciate that," but I feel like my my biceps could have been a little bigger. We're trying to commemorate here, not poke fun at. Are there casts on the arms or anything like that? I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen it close up yet. I know Dan Horde has, but I have not yet seen it. Didn't have to prove it, huh? I I approve them making a bobblehead. 
but not the final. But order. not the final. Wait, is there a date people can circle like a, a game like that everybody's going to be at? Like, is there going to um, is there a special event that's? Yeah, I don't know. I know the, you said all season. I don't know be. the. I honestly don't even know the exact date. It's either the Tulane or Tulsa game. I probably should know that stuff. But it is. It's a game during. Uh, obviously, they only have what six home games. It's one of those T schools, Tulane or Tulsa, I believe. <laughs> But you can, I mean, GoBearCats.com has all that stuff that you can find information. And I've, I mean, if there if there's enough excitement of the shirts as there are for the bobbleheads, you guys should sell a ton. Because I get more people like, can I get a bobblehead? Like, oh, you could also just get $99 season tickets. You know, which is probably face value what that bobblehead will be for on eBay. Yeah. $99.99. Easy. Easily, you think so? <laughs> no. But I did. I told. I told. I told UC. I was like, you, you know, need to be humbled a little bit. You need to go into uh, a Goodwill and see your comedy yes. album for yes. twenty five cents. <laughs> I'd, I, I would pick it up if I saw that. <laughs> I just told UC. I was that, like, it was actually. It actually said to Tony. Oh, that's what was really. That was what was really. Is it the, uh, is it the Goodwill uh, down yeah, in Red yeah, Road? Yeah, You're right. I got you. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, last thing is, uh, we need you, we need you to come up with a coupon that people can use online and in store. Just a word mm. or a phrase that. Well, I think honestly, I think what you should just go with is Pike to Benz. Pike two, the number two. Yep. Or the, we'll do it. T O. We can do both ways. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Go so up with Pike that. to Benz. B I N Z. B I N N S. That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> B-I-N-N. There you go. Uh, right. We had to do B-I-N-Z to not have to deal with um, right. eligibility issues. Uh, yeah, that's we had to right. misspell it. So people knew what yeah. we were talking about. Right. No, I'm with you. <laughs> right. I'm with you. I agree. All right. So let's try that again. So Pike 2 Bins. Yes. Yep. B-I-N-N-S. B-I-N-N-S. We'll yes. do the number P-I-K-E. two. And we'll do the... It's not P-I-C-K. P-I-K-E. P-Y-K-E. P-I-C-K. Yes. Pick to Benz. Right. Pick to Benz if you want to honor Mel. Pike to Benz saves you 20% online or at any of our locations. Hyde Park, Loveland, or OTR. Thank you, man. Thanks oh, for being thanks here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. Tony Pike. So if you're looking for the Pike Heisman t-shirt, uh, you may want to wait a while on that. A little bit of uh, controversy there. We might um, we might get it back up there. We might not. We might do it in a way that doesn't upset people. So just keep checking the site for it. It may, it may pop up in, in a way that, like I said, doesn't uh, upset anyone. And uh, boy, I forgot all about the, uh, speaking of controversy, all the controversy surrounding the 2010 Sugar Bowl. I just remember everybody being so excited that they finished as the number three team in the country and were in a BCS Bowl. And uh, I forgot all the stuff that went around it with uh, Brian Kelly and all that. So so interesting stuff. And I love the story about uh, having to buy his teammates dinner there in Carolina. That was hilarious. So if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, just drop us an email, podcast at shirts.com and put podcast guest in the subject line, and we'll track the person down for you. And that is a new email for the show, by the way, if you have any other comments or questions. Uh, be sure to tell your friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state in some way. And, of course, if you haven't already, go back and check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Lots of great stuff back there. Uh, all 78 episodes. Just subscribe and have at it. 
Uh, today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find all of their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find miniature tees from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Portland, and lots, lots more at OldSchoolShirts.com. Got a lot of defunct teams there, old shopping centers, restaurants, radio stations. Uh, there's a section of video games now. That's really cool. So it's like Cincy Shirts, uh, but for all of those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is Pike to Bins. Bins is B-I-N-N-S, and you can use either the word 2-T-O or the number 2. I put it in both ways, so it should work in either case on both sites. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order, or you can go into one of our stores, that would be an OTR, Hyde Park, or Loveland, and say pike two bins and they will give you 20% off. How about that? Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest in T-shirts news. Give us a great review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye.